Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. As usual, I am Kwame Slusher. How are you? How is everybody doing? Um, today, once again, we have Naomi Burley, our Managing Director from the GRC Institute. Hi, Naomi. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Kwame? I'm good. So today we are going to be talking about the new compliance standard. And I always keep forgetting it. It's ISO 37301. Is that correct? That is it. Yeah, Excellent. It right got it. Got it right for the first time. <laughs> and obviously, we all know that compliance is quite important. Um, you know, obviously, they have the hearings into the Crown Casino coming out of Victoria. You know, we have the criminal charges filed against MeBank. Um, I think it was this week. Um, we have ASIC suing AMP for charging deceased. And then we have Mosaic Brands paying $630,000 for breaching Australian consumer law for selling COVID-related health essentials. Um, so yeah, uh, you get caught out if you don't have your systems <laughs> and structures in place. Um, so it's an ongoing piece of work, I think. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, and and obviously some of those cases would be um, deliberate, and then some of those cases are, I'm sure, just breaches happen in your organization. And I guess yeah. the question is, what are you going to do about it? Bits of that, and obviously the AMP one seems like um, it's finally in action from the Royal Commission. So. Yeah. Um, so I think everyone was kind of waiting for that, including probably AMP. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to you, Naomi. So what is, <laughs> you know, what is different? Oh, and we have talked about this compliance standard, I should say, in the past um, when it was coming up to, you know, you were going to the meetings and giving updates and what the progress was. So what's changed and what are we talking about today in terms of this new standard? All righty. Well, we have it finally published, which is probably the biggest thing. So um it even sort of took the committee by surprise because they don't tell you how long they're going to take to do the little updates that you put through at the last minute. Um, so it was published uh, in April. And so if anyone is shopping for it, this is the thing to be really careful of because we've done the same thing ourselves, is you are looking for ISO 37301 2021. Um, uh, there are some websites that had previously made available the draft and the final draft, but there have been some last minute changes. So uh, if you're purchasing it, you need the one that was published in April of 2021, just to be absolutely clear, that's what you're looking for. There are a number of sites globally that are selling it because it's an ISO. Um, and uh, obviously locally, uh, you should be able to get it through um, SAO Global, I think sell the rights in Standards Australia here. Um, so it immediately uh, superseded 19600, which is not to say that there's anything wrong with 19600. You can't continue to use it and reference it because, in essence, the principles in 19600 weren't thrown out for 37301. The changes have all been around the structure um, and consistency required by ISO for a standard to go to a certification standard. So what if a certification standard is, is it means that now things that are listed in the standard that have the words should or, or shall, I think it is, I've got to, I've got to even double check myself, um, that have shall means that it is a requirement and should is a recommendation. Um, so the language around it's really important. It means that if you wanted to, if your entity wanted to, you can have an external um, approved certifier 
come in and certify your program against the standard and give you give you that mark but you can't do it yet so the committee is still working on the competencies required of individuals um, who are going to certify against this standard and they won't be completed until february so out there in link on linkedin and um on the internet, there are a few people advertising that they can certify against this standard. It's definitely not available yet, um, that process. No one has been approved to provide that service yet. What you can do is you, there are a number of people who obviously offer the service or, or experienced compliance, compliance professionals can do it themselves. Get the standard and then evaluate your program against what the requirements are and see if there are any nuances that you might have, you might have viewed as optional. Um, but the standard now says are compulsory. If you are interested in um, certification after February next year, when, when uh, it should be possible for someone to be licensed to do that work. So that's sort of the probably the most material change because what it did was it, it changed around the structure of the standard itself. Um, it changed around some of the illustrations that were used in the standard. So the little useful table that we used to have at the beginning, which was all around your planning and implementing and then recircling back. It's just one big circle now with the, the plan, do, check and act. So your acting is, is the end of the cycle and that's that continual improvement that we used to have in the old standard um, and fixing any compliance errors. Um, so that sort of determined moving a few things around in the standard. So you'll be looking for it in, the, in a different section for starters. And, um, and GRCI is going to be releasing a, a little summary of those differences for you. So to make it easy to find things. Um, that's one of the changes. Probably the other material change is speaking overtly around um, compliance culture and compliance governance within it and the requirements for some evidence of having considered that in the standard, because it is a certification standard, it, it then becomes quite a handy tool for some compliance professionals to take to their board and say, well, look, it's now, not, you know, this is no longer just a guidance standard. This is what is expected. If someone were to come in and say, okay, we'd like some assurance around your compliance program, they might ask for certification. They, they might ask to see that. Um, and so it's, it's your opportunity to say to your board, well, this is what it says, and we have to actually provide evidence that we do that as opposed to we all feel good about it and we're all pretty sure we've got it. We've got to actually, an independent person needs to be able to come in and see that as well. Um, so those are some really good ones. It very strongly emphasises what's always been a part of the standard from 38, um, 3806 right through that it is determined by your leadership and your senior management and um, they must support and, uh, you know, compliance within the organisation and seek to shift that culture in a way that makes compliant behaviours and take their responsibility seriously. It is a little bit different from the previous standards, again, because it's written in that certification standard speak. Um, it does try and provide some role clarity for compliance professionals within the standard as well, which is, again, is quite a handy tool to turn around and say, as per the standard, I'm second line and this is what I'm responsible for, but it very clearly says here that senior management and the leadership are responsible for this. So it is a handy tool in that respect. Um, um, just sorry, a quick question. <laughs> so did the 19600 not have that clear sense of role clarity in terms of its more conversational language? 
I, I think so. And I think that what it, you know, was very descriptive as opposed to a very clear list of things, which sort of what's in, what's out. Um, I think it did try and do that. Um, and it was, a, you know, it was a very good tool, just the same. But, yeah, this is sort of a much clearer absolute in the way you read it. I guess it's probably might be even more in the nuance of the way it's expressed rather than what's been included this time around. Um, and they were, you know, they were some hotly debated topics and we've had to be try and be very careful with the language so that it can be internationally interpreted the same way um, to make sure it's clear that where compliance sits in the organisation and who actually needs to be doing the complying um, and, and the actions that, that make the program actually compliant, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. It was there in essence in 19600. I just think it's a little bit clearer in this standard. It's set out in its own um, little section. Um, so there, there's some things to be careful about in watching the structure when you're reinterpreting it. There's things to be careful about in the language of it to be so that you understand what it's clearly saying. And there's an element of needing to evidence the things that it says you, you shall have. Um, so there is probably overall a greater emphasis on making sure elements of your program are documented and that you have evidence of it. Things like compliance culture. If it's in there and it says you've got to have it, then you can't just have a conversation with the certifier and say, oh, yeah, we've got a great compliance culture. You'll need to supply evidence of how that is and why you believe that is so. So coming up with your own KPIs. Again, it doesn't dictate what they have to be. Um, but you need to be, you know, and it's something that compliance professionals have been working on for a long time, but it's a very clear requirement in the standard, um, which is quite nice. But it still has that same cyclical progress, um, plan it or plan your changes. It can be used in both circumstances, still implement them, monitor how it's going, review your program, and then do your continuous improvement. Um, and, and around your breach reporting and all, all those other things. So it's still probably at its core, very similar, um, but there are some nuances. And I guess from the perspective of Australia, in speaking with a lot of members, they haven't had a huge appetite to be concerned about certification yet. Um, however, we're anticipating that because it was so eagerly and um, embraced internationally and we had a lot more participation on the committee than in, than in previous iterations in 19600. There is very definitely an international appetite for certification, um, and whether it's it's those organisations wanting that so that they they can give assurance to have third party relationships um, for export or import or, or for whatever reason. Uh, but there's also the, there might be the turnaround from other organisations who want assurance on Australian organisations and they ask to see the certification. So it might be something that your organisation says they have no appetite for at the moment. They feel that they're um, pretty, pretty well placed in terms of maturity of their compliance framework. Um, but then you might want to enter into a business relationship and they turn around and ask for it. So it'd be It'd be very preemptive to have reviewed it and reviewed your program against it so that you knew if you had any actual work to do, especially in terms of documentation and evidencing it. Um, for a lot of organisations, they would have these elements in there. They just might have to uh, a bit more cohesively tie them all together. 
for someone to be able to come in and give that kind of assurance. Um, if you've been having independent compliance audits on your AML program or if you've been having other independent compliance audits, uh, you're probably very, very well placed to just sort of switch over. Um, so it sh shouldn't have a huge impact for change, but it's definitely uh, worth a read. Yeah. Um, probably the other big difference, and sorry, I am rabbiting on, probably the other big difference for those who are new to the compliance standard is that because it's a certification standard, there's no explanatory um, examples in there. It doesn't, it, it, there's less words, not more. Um, and so you'll be going to the back of the document for the support stuff, which is actually a whole lot of stuff pulled out of 19600 to give mm -hmm. examples of things. You'll need to sort of liaise with, with bodies like GRCI and sort of look for examples of what that looks like in practice and, and go to other sources for some guidance around what that might look like if it's a new concept to you or if you are starting from scratch um, or if you're new to compliance, it's not self-explanatory. Um, so you may want some support there and to look to the annex of the document. So just in terms of maybe someone who has, for some reason, not really worked with many certified standards before, I mean, you've already mentioned a list of things, but how, how does having certification like um, this particular one protect you? Is there any protection for certification or does it just I don't help think you? From a, I don't think from a regulatory sense per se, yeah. um, but again, it's, it's not been offered for something quite as fundamental as compliance framework before. Um, it's usually around things like workplace health and safety, which is yeah. much more checklisty than, um, than a full-on compliance framework. So it is a bit of new territory. You're right. It's going to be very interesting. I would very much doubt whether um, an, an ASIC or an APRA or a court even would only rely on certification to, to you know, as the assurance method. They'd be wanting to look at quite specific examples. And if you had still had customer complaints in spite of um, things going on, then there could be other fundamental things there um, that you need to address. So I don't think that, that you'll be able to sort of wave your certification um, in their face and go, look, we're all fine here and expect them to go, oh, great, jolly good, off we go. Um, I, I think that it's one step and it could be a very useful exercise to do in a proactive way. But I again, I wouldn't be relying on it because the problem is, as we all know in compliance, regulations change, product usage change. You have actors in that space, especially in the financial crime space, that want to, um, uh, want to get through your controls. Uh, so, you know, nothing's impervious. Everyone's had a breach. Everyone will continue to have breaches, even with certification. Um, but it will be interesting to see how it goes, certainly in the workplace health and safety space or other, some other spaces where it's a little bit more straightforward um, because they're actually all risk mitigation strategies quite often in the standard, if that makes sense. Um, having those things is, is the bare minimum. And, and the same could probably be said here. Um, the, the certification pro process doesn't, won't tell you about the quality of your program. It will just say, yes, absolutely, these people had these elements here. Um, and a good certifier, you, you know, and I imagine especially in Australia, there'll be a lot of organisations who have a lot of experience in doing independent reviews of compliance programs already, who apply to become certifiers. They'll be able to give you further advice, um, I would imagine, or hope that that's the case. 
um, but certification no. in and of itself doesn't doesn't tell you about the quality of the program just says all the bits are there well, I know that we've just dropped a lot of information on people um, <laughs> to tell them to go to, to go read more information, obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's any, I guess, any advice, well, not advice, but any sort of recommendations, words of wisdom for uh, members listening to this podcast, who, you know, who are looking at this certification standard and trying to figure out how to get this, maybe even selling it to the board. I mean, is, do you anticipate there might be a problem there? Or because it has certification on it, maybe the board would be more amenable to this. I think they might find it attractive. Um, yeah. But again, I, I would be very wary of saying, oh, it guards against any kind of regulatory action yeah. because that's extremely unlikely. Um, but I would be saying it'd be really interesting reading. And then if you find or if you have a particular area of, area of the business or you're not getting the attention of the board, and it says very clearly in the standard, we need leadership and commitment, we need to be able to evidence it. So you need to actually send some questions back or interrogate my compliance paper a little bit or take the actions that have been suggested in there. And, you know, you're not getting anything back in the minutes or any comments from anyone. You could turn around and use this as a tool potentially to say, look, it requires evidence of this. If we ever want to get certified, we have we have nothing. And, this, and any sensible certifier, if they rocked on in and found that, it's only for the last month that anything has come back from the board. They're going to say, yeah, you might want to call me back in 12 months time and let's see if this actually is a consistent behaviour that you've been able to sustain, that your board's genuine, you know. Um, uh, so it, it, it can be definitely a, worth, a worthwhile check. Um, the other interesting thing for, especially for Australian participants, is this, that this is a very international view. It's very consistent with what um, Australian organisations and Australian compliance professionals have been saying is sort of professional best practice for a long time. It's, it's not inconsistent with that at all. But, um, but it's interesting to see that it was embraced by, you know, all the other countries who participated. It was voted for overwhelmingly. Um, we had a really high participation rate, even if they didn't come to the meetings. They all voted. So the standards bodies, all 51 standard bodies, I think there were only a couple of countries that abstained um, and a couple of countries that had um, dissenting comments to make. And some of them were really about language differences as well. Yeah. Well, excellent. That's a, a lot of info. Um, and for people who are interested in the standard, um, we will have, I'll have a link in the show notes, hopefully to the correct one, which says 2021. But please, just in case I get yes, that wrong, that. be vigilant. And then, yes, and keep an eye out for uh, we're going to be running a, a shorter webinar in June, hopefully, on the new standard. Again, expanding on some of this with a little bit more detail and some more examples. And then, obviously, our current 19600 standard course, one-day course, will change to a 37301 course. So uh, we'll be having that available from July. Um, so keep an eye out for those going up in the events calendar. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Naomi. No, thank you, Connie. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.